morning, church. Time for the congressional reading of the Bible. Today we're going to be reading John 10, 14, 16. So please follow with me. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I know my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fall, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. In the name of Jesus. Good morning, church family. It's amazing that when you start to look into the scriptures, that you see things that are so vividly clear some days. And some days you look at the Bible and you're like, I don't even know where to start. And I don't, how many of you have ever done this before? You just flipped through and went like this. You ever done that? Okay. Occasionally that happens. That did not happen this week, but I've done that occasionally just because you don't know and then God speaks. What would it be like if God spoke to you and you weren't expecting it? What if you weren't expecting it and all of a sudden God spoke to you? Let's contemplate that as we bow our heads and ask God to bless us as we study his word today. Father in heaven, I pray that you'll bless our minds, you know, that you'll bless us as we hear this message this morning and that you will speak vividly clear. And dear Father, I pray that also that you'll give the words that I need to express what you need to speak and communicate. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if I had to introduce today's sermon, I had the little short thing in the Newsy News, but if I had to describe it um, in a very, very attractive way and uh, maybe a little bit of puns here and there, it might look like this. Today, if we looked at the Scripture, we look into our lives as we contemplate what cows and grain can tell us about the day-to-day -day workings of God. Let's get the skinny on the rich narrative of Genesis 41, where we witness the remarkable journey of Joseph, a journey filled with stark contrasts, contrasts, poetic parallels, reassuring lessons, alternative wisdom, profound metaphors. Join me as we explore the divine tapestry woven through Joseph's life, reflecting the boundless grace and sovereignty of our Almighty God. Sounds a little flowery. But how else would you describe the job of a prophetic dream? How else would you describe the job of a prophet? Just think with me this morning, some prophets are called by God, and they really don't have a whole lot of say in it. Some it's kind of they went to school and everything, and all of a sudden they're given this gift, and they have the gift of prophecy. But how would you describe what a prophet really does except for dream dreams? How many of you would like that job? You, are, you have to dream dreams. What does that mean? You have to sleep. How many of you would like to sleep for a living? There's a couple of you who are like, sign me up right now. <laughs> But that's not really the job of the prophet. The prophet is then to give the message that is given and give it in a way that hopefully the people around them can understand. We've looked at a number of them this year. Uh, we've looked at a number of kings that have had uh, dreams, and we're going to look at another one, a pharaoh that is having a dream this morning. But can you imagine having to 
look at dreams and analysis of dreams and then give their interpretation. How many of you have ever had wild dreams? How many of you have dreams that you don't even want to talk about? How many of you don't have dreams and you wish you did because you don't sleep long enough? You know, <laughs> sometimes that happens too. But in today's story, if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. Well, when I looked at that, I was like, two full years of what? What exactly happened? Well, if you look at the previous chapter, you see that Joseph has interpreted the dream of uh, two individuals that were in the court. And one of them, the dream was very good. I mean, the interpretation was awesome. He was reestablished. And the other one, well, let's just say that he didn't like pointy things and uh, he didn't live through the experience. So two full years in prison. That's the setting of this story. It happened at the end of these two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. And lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows. And some of you are like, yeah, this is a farmer's one. This is cool. Sleek and fat, and they grazed on the marsh grass. Then behold, and this is where the dream goes from da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and a nice dream to... Behold, the seven cows that came up after them from the Nile were ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the river um, by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke. How many of you would wake up if you saw a cow eating another cow? I would. I'd be like, whoa, this is a little messed up. What's going on? He fell back asleep, fell back asleep, And dreamed a second dream in verse 5, a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk. Now, let me ask you, those of you who are into farming, if you have a single stalk and seven heads, is it a good year? Some of you are like, something's wrong with that stalk. But anyhow, it's like, wow, this is really cool. So, and it was plump, it was good, and then verse 6, then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump ear, full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. He was afraid that it was not a dream. Now, in the morning, his spirit was troubled. Does this sound familiar? This kind of sounds like Nebuchadnezzar's dream, does it not? So he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. But the difference in this story is this guy's nice, okay? Everybody lives. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to the Pharaoh, saying, "Um, I would like to mention something today um, of my own offense. That means I I messed up. I'm sorry. Um, Pharaoh... um, he was furious with his servants, and he put me in a, a confined house of the captain of the body of the guard, both me and the chief uh, baker. We had a dream in the same night, and he and I, each of us, dreamed according to the interpretation of their own dream. Now, a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, bodyguards, and he related them to, and he, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. 
To each one he interpreted according to his own dream, and just as he interpreted it for us, so it happened, he restored me to my office, uh, but the other guy was hanged. And it says hanged here, it was actually uh, speared. How many of you have ever read this story and you know it very well? Okay? This is a story that is something we teach kids, and it, it's kind of strange that we teach it to kids because cows eating other cows and things like that is kind of wild. It's a wild story, but it's a dream. And as we see this dream, we see a problem that is starting to come up, and that is that the people that are around this pharaoh cannot do anything to interpret it. And after he's like, can't anybody tell me? The cupbearer goes, oh yeah, um, <laughs> pharaoh, um, it's been two years. I should have told you this beforehand because this guy's really awesome. Um, I had a dream, and the other guy had a dream, the cupbearer and the uh, baker. We had dreams, and um, I was reestablished because he told me the dream, and that's what I was supposed to do, and the other guy died. Um, do you think you'd like to talk to this guy? What do you think Pharaoh would say? <laughs> Get him here now. What's wrong with you? No, they're really good friends because he's the cupbearer. But he says, okay, please, please, please. Get him here now. Get him here now. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I, I implore you to because there's many, many details that are here that are really great. So Pharaoh did call for Joseph, and Joseph was out of the dungeon. How many of you would go before the king of the... Okay, how many of you would go before the president of the United States if you've been in the dungeon for the last two years? What would you ask for first? Please, may I have a shower? May I have a shaver? And could you get somebody that would cut my hair, please? Because if I'm going to go before the king, I want to look okay. <laughs> I want to look presentable. It's something that's very, very interesting because we had a bunch of kids that we took down to one of the islands. I can't remember if it was St. Lucia or Barbados, but they were in session and our kids wanted to go in and see what was going on, and they said, you can't come in. They're like, why can't we come in? And they said, you're not dressed appropriately to come into the, the session here, that we only allow this. And I was like, whoa, you have to be dressed up to go see the, uh, the government in session. You can't just come in on your street clothes because it is a very important thing to these people. And so this is interesting. He comes before the king, makes sure that he's okay. I'm sure he's a little gaunt and he's a little pale because he hasn't seen the sunshine for a long time. But he comes before the king with humility. And as he comes before the king in humility, the king represents all of these people. He could have him killed immediately. But he goes, I've heard from a very good source, this guy, I've heard from a very good source that you interpret dreams. And Daniel comes to mind. What did Daniel say to Nebuchadnezzar? Not in this story, in the other one we looked at. What did Daniel say to Nebuchadnezzar? I can't do it. Joseph, the same way, tells the Pharaoh, I can't do it, but the God I serve can do it. And so he says, just tell me the dream. So he tells him the dream. He goes, okay, I was sitting by the Nile, and then these nice cows came up out of the water. I don't know why they came out of the water. I mean, Dreams are dreams. 
And they stood there along the bank, and they were eating, and they were fat, and they were nice. And then these seven nasty-looking, horrendous-looking cows came, and they ate the other ones, and they were still skinny and nasty. And then I had another dream right afterward, and there was these seven heads of grain on one stalk, and they were full and beautiful, and it was just wonderful. And then these ugly, nasty ones that looked like, you know, they're diseased and everything, ate them. I don't know how they ate them, but they ate them, and they still look the same. Can you tell me what's going to happen? No, but the God I serve can. These are the same dream. These are the same dream, O Pharaoh, and this is what's going to happen. We're going to have seven years of plenty. How many of you would like seven years of nothing but plenty? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Be like, we can refill the bank accounts, we can buy new cars, you know, all that kind of stuff, make the house better, all that kind of stuff. And that's going to be followed by seven years of famine like we've never seen ever. Hmm. You can see the Pharaoh going, hmm. Seven years of plenty. I will have no problems with any of my subjects because they will be happy and they will be eating and they will be really, that would be great. But then seven years of bad, oh boy. What should we do? We need to, we need to appoint somebody that is very wise to um, take care of this problem. Do we have any volunteers? Not really. No one wanted to take that on. They're like, you're the Pharaoh. You do that. He goes, no, there's one person here that has the wisdom of God. This is coming from someone who thinks he is a God and says there is someone that is in touch with God. And he just interpreted my dream. Why don't you take over and do it? Hmm. Woo. How many of you would volunteer for that position? What would it look like to know that God has spoken through you? You've even interpreted dreams. You're in the prison rotting away, and someone remembers you, and God is ready to use you for the purpose that is going to be really great, and you interpret one dream, and then you start working for this guy. Okay, maybe not this guy. I kind of did a, what, what would it look like for somebody nowadays if they were Pharaoh? But the message is something that is coming, and you need to pay attention to it. In fact, if you look at the parallels of this dream versus the parallels that Joseph had, what are the parallels of the dream of Joseph and this man? There was wheat involved, and they were bowing down. You're like, whoa, there's some parallels there. They're kind of interesting. You see, the dreams and interpretations are very, very important during this time. In this chapter, we see that there are similarities between Joseph's dream in Genesis 37 and Pharaoh's dream in Genesis 41. Joseph's dream foretold that his family would be bowing down before him, while Pharaoh's dream revealed the time of plenty and of famine. So, what happens next? Seven years of wonderfulness. And he says, I'm going to take one-fifth of all the crops, and I'm going to put them in a storehouse. If you read it carefully, he said he did that for a long, long time, and then the grain became as the sands of the sea, and he gave up counting. You see, when God blesses you, he blesses you without measure. You can't measure it. And he put storehouse after storehouse after storehouse after storehouse up, and it was all over the country. And it says that he even grew around the city extra grain besides that. They had so much grain, they didn't know what to do with it. And then the famine hit. 
I don't know about you, but if you see some really neat-looking cows and they're really well-fed, some of you are like, mmm, hamburger. You know, that's, that's the way it is. Or for some, it's milk, or for some, it's other things that the, the cows help do, like plow fields and all that kind of stuff. But seven years of wonderful is a wonderful feeling. Nothing but money, food, no worries. This picture is uh, kind, of, kind of a livelihood thing. If people look at this, they're like, oh, that's money. You know, that's, that's something really great. Uh, in South Dakota, if you go just, be, um, just down the mountain from uh, Mount Rushmore and all that, uh, toward Custer, you can see longhorns just like that. And it's uh, kind of relatives of the ones that were in that area during that time. If you see the Egyptian uh, glyphs and everything, you see the big, big horns. And there were others that were there too. But it's commodities. The king must have been overjoyed with this seven years. In fact, when you see the grain heads, they were bigger than normal. I mean, it was wonderful when this kind of thing happened. The country fed the people had good revenue, the country had great revenue so they could build projects, they could do things with the roads, they, they increased everything, the people were having a good time. They were singing the works of Pharaoh and of God and it was wonderful. But then, bad times come. This is the worst cow I could find that was free because I use Pexels. Uh, it's a site that's all free. A bunch of people that are photographers like myself get together and we throw things online and it's free to use for everybody. But can you imagine seven years where you're not sure that you're going to make it through each year? There's not as enough revenue for everything to be done. The roads start falling apart. The infrastructure starts to fall apart. Everything starts to die. And this is not happy time. It's economic disaster time. But... There was one man that helped Pharaoh so that this would not happen. The grain houses were opened up, it says in this chapter, and they started selling grain, and the people there did not starve. And it said the famine was not just in Egypt, it was in all surrounding countries. And so in all surrounding countries, all of a sudden the story shifts, and it goes to where Joseph's dad and his brothers are, and all of a sudden he's like, why are you sitting around looking at each other? You're not going to feed each other. There's nothing going on here. We're not having any grain. Will you please go down to Egypt and grab some food? So they do. They do. And that's a story for another time. But they had sold him into slavery. His brothers had sold him into slavery, but what they didn't understand is they were selling him into God's hands. God took a terrible situation and did something with it that is amazing. You see, Joseph basically went into training, and he had to deal with difficult people, his brothers, Potiphar and his wife. He had to learn to work in the worst of situations. He was a slave but he learned how to work the best that he could. He only focused on his job. He had skills that fulfilled the task of being able to build this big empire. You realize that Joseph was only, he was number one to everybody except for Pharaoh. He went from the dungeon all the way to you listen to him or Pharaoh is going to off you. Everything that he says is just a stamp of approval by Pharaoh and it's done in the nation because they know that this seven years is going to lead to seven bad years and that seven bad years he still had the say. He learned patience. He had those skills. But most importantly, he was trustworthy and God had set him aside at this time. 
trustworthy people are really hard to find. And Pharaoh knew it. Pharaoh knew it because trustworthiness was one of the biggest things that he said. This man is somebody I can trust. I'm going to entrust all of the nation to him. And he built an empire based upon grain. And that grain, when they started feeding people, it, the word got out. You see, timing and patience are everything. Joseph's patience resounds through the narrative. Four years he endured trials and hardships, yet he remained faithful to God. When the time came, his faithfulness was rewarded. Two years in prison and uh, many years as a servant. God's timing is perfect, and our patience at times is, is waiting for God to say, <laughs> you need to act in it now. But you see the yield of Joseph's patience, and it was a measure that was not even measured. You see, it was becoming clear that the dream of the past was going to come true very, very soon. And we know that story. We know that story well. We know that his brothers came to him for food, and he treated them kind of roughly at first, and then he gave them the things that they needed. But you know what? As I looked at this, I looked that Pharaoh had a providential promotion for him in mind. Joseph, it was a prime example of a divine providence that needed to happen, and we argue with it all the time. We're like, well, God doesn't make you do things, but he's... But you know what? He takes a bad situation and makes it really good here because he takes the brothers basically selling him and disowning him as a family member because they hated his dreams and everything else and they sold him right into the fact that his dreams were going to come true. I mean, it's like a full circle. You see the dreams are coming true right before them. They go to get bread. I mean, they go to get uh, the grain from him and the first thing they do is what? He's the governor of all of the country, and they bow down before him. Did he go be like, ha! My dreams come true, you dirtbags. <laughs> he didn't. He may have been thinking it in his head, whatever, it does not matter, but what he did is he looked down and he tested them. He wanted to know, are they really the brothers that I knew? To make the story really short, no, they weren't. They were really concerned about their brother and they were really concerned about their father. But I digress. I digress because when we get back to the point that we have seven years of plenty and now seven years of bad things, whew, prepare even before the plenty. When hard times come, you can face it knowing you are ready. As Seventh-day Adventists, we've always talked about being ready for the second coming. What does that require? That requires us to follow Jesus Christ. Plain and simply, that's it. You follow Jesus Christ. And that readiness is taken care of by your relationship with God every day. That's what being ready means. I've observed many, many times in the past where all of a sudden there's a storm or something coming and everybody's trying to prepare. Have you ever gone to a store where there's a hurricane going to come and hit? I have. You know what's in that store? That's not exactly true. There's no food. There's no blankets. There's no emergency stuff. There's tons of toys. There's tons of, of things that are, like, not needed. Electronics, nobody cares about, unless, you know, the storm comes and then everybody steals them. But it's not something that people want. They just want food, 
clothing and emergency supplies. And the store is empty. I mean, you can go to every single store in the whole area and there will be none. In fact, in some of the areas, there'll be no lumber either because they're, you know, making sure that the windows are protected and stuff like that. But it's always the people that get there after all that's gone and be like, I'm here to shop. No preparation, no food set aside, nothing. All It's just they come there and now what do they do? They're not prepared. What happens? Most of them have to drive north and try and get out of the storm, usually. But what's amazing is if you're prepared, you don't have to worry about some of that stuff. If you have a plan as to evacuation and all that, you're not waiting to the last minute to get out. You're gone three days before the thing hits because you know that if you wait to the last minute, you're going to be stuck on that freeway and the storm will hit while you're still on the road. You see, that's the same thing with these people. After they saw that we're going to have seven years of plenty, they stored away as much as they could. They made a plan. How much grain does everybody get in the years of not plenty? They had to have that already arranged. You see, they were happy during that time that there were many, many pounds of grain per person, but they had to measure out, hmm, I wonder how much we need for all these people. And then there'll be others and then there's something that we really don't think about. If you have all of this food and the countries around you have no food, what else needs to be bolstered? The military. And they have to be fed and their animals have to be fed. So the, can you imagine the planning that happened for seven years? And guess who was in charge? A man of God. The only way that it could ever have happened was a man of God that was spiritually hungering after God was the only one that could do it. He had to sacrifice everything. He only walked, talked, and thought this thing. But it says during this time that Joseph had two sons and that he was given a wife. And his wife was from a God named On. The, the place that that guy came from is basically the, the, um, the location, On, and the God that they worshiped was Ra. And so the king gave him the most powerful God, his wife, came from the, the minister. It would be like um, the president of the United States all of a sudden contacts the uh, GC president and says, okay, um, young man, you're going to marry this lady here because that's what's going to happen. Some of you young ladies would be like, no, <laughs> that's appointed marriages? No, that's not happening. But that's basically what happened during this time. And they were blessed. They were blessed. You see, Joseph had dreams of the past. He had dreams of the now. He turned tra tragedy into triumph. Uh, he took the sovereignty of God and showed it to us in a way that I can't even imagine. As we reflect on the contrasting phases of Joseph's life, the similarities between the dreams are just evident. I mean, they're there. It's not like, see, I told you. But the brothers and sisters and the mom and dad benefited greatly because they were fed during the time of famine. Patience, because he had to do all of this work, and it was really hard work, and there were many people that had to answer to him, but they all got it done. The power of divine promotion, the profound metaphor of Joseph as the Savior, we are reminded that the tapestry of what's going on here, God weaves in our lives into stories like this. Just as Joseph's story unfolded, According to God's plan, so your life and my life unfolds to the plan of God. You're like, Pastor, my life sometimes is not fair. Tell me about it.
but God is still there. No matter what happens in our lives, God is still involved somehow, and he will make it pleasantly clear, but at first it may not be pleasant. He may be trying you and making sure that you can handle what's next and that you will be prepared for what is going to happen. And he'll transform you in a way that maybe you don't understand yet. But as we reflect on the story that is unfolded today before our eyes according to God's plan, we too can be used and trusted by God because he is the sovereign heavenly father who transforms everybody and turns our triumphs into, I mean, our trials into triumphs. May we, like Joseph, remain steadfast in our faith, knowing that God's grace is sufficient and his promises are sure. All of this while protecting our freedom of choice. I don't understand that, by the way. I will be the first to admit it today. I don't understand freedom of choice. I don't understand how God does that. But I know that he uses our choices and he makes sure that things actually turn out if we are compliant to him, if we look at him like a child does and says, I love you, mommy and daddy, with no conditions. It's my prayer that each one of us would be like Joseph, that unconditionally we love God, no matter what's happening to us right now, that he can take us, even if we're thrown into a pit and sold as a slave, to become the second command of a great nation that even today we talk about. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we know that you fed the people back then by the grain that was collected in the seven years of plenty. Dear Father, we know that you also gave them water and all the other things that they needed. So I pray, dear Father, that as we pray for the basics of life, that you will transform us and that you will make us into something that can be great and usable by you. In Jesus' name, amen.